0: our series on missional living, uh, we have identified that through the overwhelming wisdom of Scripture, uh, we are compelled to understand that the entire existence of our being is not for ourselves. That we were designed, created for the very purpose of glorifying God, worshiping God, enjoying Him. You were made to be in a relationship with God, and being in a relationship with God is actually your very purpose. Abiding with God is all that we have. It is the very core of our creation and the very center of our purpose, and we are to live out that purpose in this, our time and boundaries. We all might have ideas of wanting to live somewhere else in another time, but God a lots the boundaries and the time of all living things. This is our space. This is our time. Mission isn't something you go and do somewhere else. Mission is here where we live. Living by our purpose. We are all God illuminators just with different jobs and roles and responsibilities and obligations, but all of us are called to live out our true purpose and design in this, our place, amongst the people that God has given to us. And we said last week that those people aren't put here necessarily for our benefit, but for us to love. Because loving them actually reveals in us the true nature of our hearts. That if God called us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, mind, And to love our neighbor as ourselves, it would be easy to stop about just loving God with all that we have, but it is through loving our neighbor that we actually reveal to ourselves how much we believe that and how good we are at doing that. And so this week, we're going to talk about power. How is it that we do this? How do we live missionally? And it'll be a little bit different than maybe what you think power is power isn't maybe what we compel it to be in this world. It's not even of our own possession. And it is revealed and comes to us by a very uncommon posture. And so we're going to approach God's word today as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You are welcome to join us on your phones. If you have your Bibles, turn there. It'll be on the screen. It's important we put our eyes on the word of God for our own knowledge. And so this is the apostle Paul. And he writes this. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which men may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool, and you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that this is an inspired word of God for the joy of our hearts, for the flourishing of our lives. And we come underneath of it, Lord, seeking to learn from you, to live as you. Lord, move in our lives, convict us of the things that we don't see, that we don't know, and propel us by your gladness and grace towards greater depth in our relationship with you. And we ask this through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So there's this group that has been following Paul around the entirety of the Mediterranean. And he flippantly calls them the super apostles. It's like a name that we had when we were cartoon like as a cartoon with kids, the super apostles. But they are not super nor are they apostles. They did not see Jesus at all. They are false teachers who are deceiving others with a false message about Jesus Christ. And wherever Paul has gone, they go. After Paul preaches the gospel in an area, they come in with false credentials esteeming themselves. So in that day, they would not have had Facebook for you to stalk people to figure out who they are. Nobody would know. And so what they would do is if they were coming to a new town or a new city, they would carry letters of recommendation, credentialing letters. And so you might, if you lived during that time, you might have somebody come and knock on your door seeking hospitality and care, and they would bring with them a letter from your Uncle Billy, who said, hey, this is a safe person. You can trust them. They are good. These so-called super apostles carried false documentations, false credentials, forged letters from leaders in the church in other areas to convey to people in new areas their legitimacy. In a modern-day language, they were using them to hype themselves up. And they used these false credentials to deceive many who had heard the good news of Jesus Christ through the apostle Paul, and they used their influence actually to compel to the people in those areas how inferior Paul was. And so in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul in some way is defending himself as if the apostle Paul needed to defend himself. He is defending himself. And so these opening lines of chapter 12 flow from a whole gamut of Paul saying, look, do you not understand who I am? Do you not understand what I've done? He is so frustrated by the utter chaos these deceivers have created. And so he wraps up his defense here in chapter 12. He wraps it up through a vision of a person who was called up into the third heaven. Now, Most theologians believe, and it makes the most sense to believe, that Paul is actually talking about himself in these verses. He is talking about himself when he says, this man. He's referring back to the experience that he had on the road to Damascus that is recorded in Acts chapter 9. And when Paul mentions that he's being called up into the third heaven, we have to understand from a Hebrew point of view That in that time, they would have viewed the sky realm, the clouds as the first heavens, the atmosphere. What lie beyond it where the planets and the stars were would be the second heavens. And what was beyond those where the presence of God was, was the third heaven. And so Paul is saying that he doesn't know for sure what happened precisely, but he was called into the presence of God. He had a profound experience where God supernaturally overtook him. And if anyone had seen it or experienced it, they would not be doubting the legitimacy of who he was and his message. Yet Paul is reluctant here, and this is fascinating, He's reluctant to use his own experience for his own advantage. Paul is certainly free in a way to boast about the confidence that God placed in him some 14 years ago on the road to Damascus. It helps establish the legitimacy in this area in the face of these opponents. But there is a sense in which Paul is saying like, what good does that do any one of us? What good does it do if you know my credentials? I don't want to be like one of these so-called super apostles trying to convince you of my popularity and my importance. I could boast about many things. I could say, look at me. Look how important I am. Look what God is doing in me to get you to look at me and listen to me. But what does that really accomplish? What does it benefit you in knowing how great I am if the only thing that really matters is you knowing how great Christ is? And so he writes, but on my behalf I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. I would be speaking the truth. It would be utterly true what I'm saying to you. But I refrain from it And I love this Paul. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And so can we intersect this with the reality that we live in a world that bends us towards the struggle of being strong? It bends us towards having the appearance of power and strength because nobody wants to be seen as weak. From the time of our birth, we are told that it's survival of the fittest, that second place is the first loser, that nice guys finish last, that if you really want it, you got to go and take it. Don't ever let them see you cry. To be successful, you got to be first in it. You got to be there first. The whole of our economy is based upon competition, on you seeing one better than another. The whole environment of our digital world and social media revolves around you getting noticed, being seen. It's about creating alternative personalities that aren't even us. Personalities that just get us attention. Edited versions of ourselves that always conveys our best and never our worst. It's deceptive. It's self-seeking. It makes more of us than we are. We are very much primed in this world to see our well-being, to see our success and thriving in terms of power and strength. And so it is otherworldly to hear the Apostle Paul say, I'm gonna only boast in my weakness. I'm only gonna boast in my weakness that you wouldn't think more of me than you ought to. And so can I be honest with you today? Like this is a constant struggle for me, a a constant struggle of mine to make you think more of me than I really am, to to battle against writing and teaching in a way that, that will convey to you my knowledge and eloquence that you would consider me with approving eyes. The pastoral world today is full of amazing speakers and wonderful teachers that are far wiser than I am, that are more proficient in their speaking than I could ever be. Almost every week of my life as a pastor, I've been approached by somebody telling me about another amazing pastor that has told me about a sermon that I have to listen to that affected them that wasn't mine. The pressure on local pastors in this day in a digital world, where you literally can watch any church in almost any part of the globe, and listen to any sermon from almost any pastor is immense. And there becomes a real tension and a real incentive (laughs) in a world that bends towards strength and not weakness for me to try to flex up and make you think more of me than you ought to. And look, I'm just gifted enough to be dangerous. We live in a world where knowledge and resources at the touch of our finger. And it is very enticing to cut corners, to be relevant and popular and seen. And listen, my battle is not unknown to you. It's not unknown to you. Most every day of your life, you feel the same pull for others to see you as more than you are. Our inner self is full of discontented thoughts about our abilities as mothers and fathers, our abilities as employees and bosses, as husbands and wives, as potential mates, and even as people. We are always comparing ourselves to another. And we think that we will be validated and appreciated when we are just as strong and just as powerful and just as good as they are. But Paul warns us that there is an immense danger lurking in that belief. Now, nowadays, nobody's going to mockingly call you a super apostle. That doesn't carry much weight. If somebody called you a super apostle, you wouldn't be like, stop that. It's offensive to me. You wouldn't know what to do with it. But make no mistake, we may not be called super apostles, but we desire to carry the same type of false credentials that they did we desire to convince others of what we are not. That we would persuade others of an authority and a presence that we don't have. We all want to be validated. We all want to be seen as strong. And we want to go to great lengths to accomplish that. But your inner life reminds you (laughs) that you are not. And you find appearing strong to be a great struggle that never ends it's because you will not find that kind of strength in yourself. You will not find that sort of power in yourself. Yet there are other people who in arrogance actually think that they are special, actually think that they have a power, actually believe that they are more credentialed and have greater authority. And if that is you in the room, friend, you may never get a sense of your own folly in your inner person but there is a path of destruction that you have blazed in your life of broken and fractured relationships and pain that may the Lord give you eyes to see it. And this seems like something Paul says, I'm capable of this. I'm I'm capable of being arrogant and conceited. Paul is a stud, Like, and I don't know if it's blasphemy to call Paul a stud, but we're here 2,000 years later and we're talking about this guy almost every single Sunday of our existence. He's a human. He's not even God, not even a little bit, not even a little bit. Certainly if we are celebrating and revere him today, there would have been enormous potential and opportunity for him to do it then. Enormous potential for him to join in on a celebration of himself, to deceive the world around him that he's kind of a big deal, and leverage his popularity for his own gain. But Paul reveals to us that the Lord, through his grace, had stricken him with a thorn in his flesh, an affliction, a pain in his life that he could not get rid of, something so debilitating that it actually kept him from pride. Now, many understand Paul's thorn here as some physical ailment. Many scholars believe it was something in his eyes. Others talk about it being a melancholy within his soul. But whatever it was, it was so debilitating that he asked God three times to remove it to no avail, only to hear this sovereign decree from the Lord that my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What is it that can make this icon of a man, Paul, promote his weakness, boast in his weakness? The answer lies in this text. It is the grace of God that proves to be an all-sufficient solvent that even somebody like Paul sees themselves as insufficient. At the end of this passage, Paul says, you have made me a fool, right? You've made me a fool. You forced me into it. He says, I'm not inferior to these super apostles, but do you notice how he ends it? Even though I'm nothing. A nothing, Paul, a nothing. How is Paul a nothing? He says, I'm a nothing. Listen to Paul talk to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8, he says, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered and the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Listen to Paul in front of the eldership of the church in Ephesus that's recorded in Acts 20. He writes and says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Time and time and time again, Paul, in every season, amongst every people group, testifies to his utter weakness to his nothingness. Because Paul knows that true power and validation is not found in ourselves. It's not found in this world. It comes from outside of us. There is a sense in which all of us are made like these beautiful new hammers. These beautiful new hammers where the only thing that we can sort of wow people with is the shine of our chrome, the smoothness of our finish, We can maybe impress people by the vibrancy of the colors in our handle, yet we only will ever appear more powerful and strong comparative to another. It's a power that's an illusion. It's not real. For that hammer to be what it was designed to be, for it to exist, that it was meant to exist, it means that someone from the outside must pick it up, hold it, possess it, and send their power through it. Through it. And this is what Paul knows. This is what Paul knows, that real power and strength is not within our own being. It's outside of us. And only in that by his power, God holds us. God possesses us. And that's the big idea for us today, friends, is that the power of God that possesses us is the only real power we have. The power of God that possesses us is the only real power we have. Our scripture teaches us for our joy that we are not our own that we were bought with a price. That the costly blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, was shed on the cross. He bore the wrath of God for our sin. He bore our shame. He bore our violence. He bore our hostility towards God. And in his death and resurrection, he rescues us from death. He rescues us from sin. He rescues us from ourselves. And by and through his love and mercy, he extends to us as his children by faith, grace and forgiveness and peace and joy. This is what Paul knows. This is what Paul knows, that only but for the cross of Christ, he is nothing. That only but for the cross of Christ that he can stand. He tells the Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly to a perishing world. But to us who are being saved by it, it is the power of God. And so why is the cross the power of God? We you got all day. Why is the cross the power of God? Because through a divine act of love, God pardoned the sins of mankind. Our debt was satisfied through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God's gift to the world then becomes, through the cross, a right standing, a righteousness, a clean slate that is not our own possession. We didn't earn it. A gift, God's righteousness imputed to us through Christ. Why? Why? So God can dwell with his people. That he can be at peace with his creation. And what that means, what that gloriously means, friends, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how big your house is, how big your bank account is. It doesn't matter what your status, your title, your eloquence, how liked you are, how unliked you are. It doesn't matter how many followers you have. It doesn't mean how many travels that you made. No. No. None of those matter. God willed it that the only thing that saves you, the only thing that makes you whole, the only thing that really matters, the only thing that changes you was not done by you, but for you. And this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has moved heaven and earth to possess you, to purchase you, not because of our utter specialness, Because it's only in the arms of our Creator that the human soul finds its true worth and power. Paul knows that there is no benefit for him in making this world a den where he flexes his strength, he flexes his power, because he has none, he doesn't have anything. Sure, we can fix a problem. We we can fix a trial that comes before us. But guess what? Next week, there's another one. And then the week after that, there's another one. And then the year of that, there's a big one. The only strength that Paul has is in knowing that God possesses him, which means that he doesn't have to rely on his own strength and he can accept his weakness, and insufficiency. His thorn isn't an object to conquer. It's not an object that he needs to conquer. He prays, but he lets it be a space in which he trusts God as sufficient. He doesn't need to flex up during trials and hardships, but he trusts in the God that holds him in the midst. We are born into this world believing that we will face all sorts of obstacles, that we must grow in our proficiency through our own power to overcome. But it is the wisdom of God that informs us that we exist in a world full of obstacles to reveal to us our utter weakness. The fact that your body ages and you can't stand up straight is a gift from God. The fact that your life doesn't go the way that you want it to go is a gift from God. The fact that you can never seem to find what you're looking for in this world is a gift from God. He reveals to us time and time again our own insufficiency, that we might put all of our hope and all of our power and all of our strength within him. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection saves us but it also becomes the power that keeps us and changes us. It keeps us and it changes us. When God has you, nothing else in this world has you. When God has you, it doesn't matter how popular you are. When God has you, it doesn't matter how well in your appearance you look. When God has you, your status doesn't matter. When God has you, the amount of money in your bank doesn't matter. When God has you, nothing in this world could hold a candle to the strength and power that one finds in his arms. It is the only true thing that allows us to stop struggling to look strong because we finally accept what is true about ourselves. Our utter weakness in the light of Christ. And we find true delight in the phrase that my grace is sufficient for you in this. You know, in our world, we try to think of maturity and growth much like a young child learning how to ride its bicycle. We sort of imagine growth in maturity like that, that you sort of start off maybe on a balance bike. And then you progress maybe into training wheels. And then after a while, you might not need mom and dad's help getting on and off the bike. And then eventually, you don't need the training wheels. You've done it enough. You've practiced enough. You've had enough time in it. And then you don't need mom and dad to be around to help you start even. Eventually, with enough time and practice, you become independent of aids and help. You can ride bikes. You've become strong and powerful in that. And many Christians have translated this idea of maturity and growth into their versions of Christianity, where we think that there's some day that we graduate from the gospel of Christ. Well, that's good news that saved me, but I don't need that anymore. We think that somehow we mature in this place that we no longer need the gospel, that we mature in our Christianity, that we don't need to read our words, that we mature in our Christianity, that we no longer to be in groups or attend our churches We've got this whole Christian thing figured out, we tell ourselves. But the reality is that being a Christian and maturing is profoundly opposite of that. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you realize you need him. The less independent you are, and the more dependent you come become. If we are not preaching the gospel of Christ to us every single day of our lives, that Jesus Christ died for me, that his grace is sufficient for me, if we aren't recognizing our own limits and insufficiency and trusting him, you have no power. You have no power. You will be tossed around by the world seeking the things that you can never possess, trying to be a hammer that looks better than another but as we delight in the grace of God, in Christ's sufficiency, he becomes the power in which we do all things. Salvation is not based upon what I've done, but only in what he has done. My worth is not in what I feel or think, but it's in the nail-scarred hands of Christ. My strength isn't in myself, but it's in the very Savior whose strength destroyed sin and death for me. And so as we think of living missionally, living on purpose where God has placed us, we must consider, like your neighbor won't change, your family won't change, your city won't change, your heart won't change, if it's about your determination and power. God isn't glorified in us by us, by our own power doing the things that we can do. God gives us a power to do the things that we can't. And it is the power of doing the things that we can't only through the sufficiency of God that Christ becomes beautiful to the world and glorified in the world. It's a power that calls us to do hard things because I don't have enough power in me to forgive everybody in my life that hurt me. But God does. I don't have the power to go up to my friend who I know that I'm wrong and compel to him my utter sorrow. But God has me and he does. God's power is made perfect through our weakness. That's the big idea today, friends. The power of God that possesses us is the only real power we have. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come before you today. uh, We're just aware of how much we sort of flex in this world to make others think of us more than we are. Have you rescued us from that, and, in fact, it, Lord, it is our own delight to realize our own insufficiency that we might boast in your enoughness, in your sufficiency, in your grace. Yours is the power that holds me, that keeps me, that possesses me, Lord, even through the hardest things of my life i don 't have to overcome them you already have. And I can just rest in a God that moved heaven and earth to rescue me. And Lord, give us that vision today. Give us that joy today and help us to take that vision and joy and live it out in front of our neighbors. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful and precious name. Amen.